Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we get started today, I wanted to let you know about a brand new event I will be running with my colleague Hilary Thomas. Our 24-hour Reset, Refocus, Rejuvenate retreat will take place on the 10th of November. Designed to help you carve out some much-needed space and time to focus on you and your goals, you will leave feeling energised and revitalised. Head on over to the Dive Deep Climb High website for more information. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into redundancy. Being made redundant is one of the most traumatic experiences we can go through during our working lives. And whilst many people will say in hindsight, it was one of the best things that happened to them, during that very initial stage, when they first hear the news, it is often devastating. And I say this from experience, having been made redundant. My guest today is a career coach and professional speaker. He works with people who have been made redundant. And I'm hoping through our conversation, we will be able to gain some understanding of just what we can do if we find ourselves in that situation. And also, more importantly, what we can do as leaders if we have to manage a redundancy programme. This may not be a comfortable conversation, but I hope it will be very helpful to people. So please welcome the wonderful John Burns. Hi, John. Hello, and welcome on the to the Deep Dive podcast. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. So we are going to be talking about redundancy as well as lots of other things, including accountancy, no doubt that will make an appearance as well. So to start, I think it'd be really interesting for you to share a little bit of your career journey and how you've ended up in this space. Great question to ask, Mel, and I'll give as brief, but at the same time as detailed answer as I possibly can. So it was always my parents' wish that uh, the three of us, that's myself, my sister, my brother Mark, that we'd all go to college or university, and we did. And from that, I went to Athlone Institute of Technology, now known as something, it's a different name now, but anyways, it was Athlone Institute of Technology in those days. And I studied business studies uh, up to diploma level. And from that, when I went out into the workforce, I started to study the professional accountancy exams at night time. And over time, I became a qualified accountant. And the reason why I went into the accountancy profession was because I was good at figures. I was good at logical work and it was deemed to be a safe profession where people could progress over the time you know into more senior positions but what i noticed was after a couple of years working in the profession i kind of struggled with the control 
oriented element of the work within a country. That's balance sheet reconciliations, the more detailed work. I loved the big picture commercial work, but the more detailed control work was just a struggle for me. And I continued in the profession for 25 years. And throughout those years, I had many highs and many lows in an emotional sense, working with an accountancy. And then my accountancy career came to an end in 2010 when I was made redundant from my job as a senior finance manager by DHL Supply Chain Ireland. And what happened was when I was going through my redundancy package with the HR director, he just happened to ask me a, a question. He said, John, what's your Myers-Briggs uh, personality type? And I said, I'm an INTP. And that means slightly introversion, more a good feeling person, intuition person than a sensory individual. Uh, P is perceiving. I like to keep my options open. And T is for a thinking person more than a person who expresses their feelings. And David, the HR director at the time, said, John, you're not suited to accountancy. And I said, David, I've been saying the same thing to myself for the past 25 years. And at that stage, then I knew that my career in accountancy was over. And at that time, going back to 2010, Ireland was in deep recession. We were about to call in the Trika because the government was running out of money. They were borrowing money, you know, hand over fist uh, from the markets to try and stabilize the economy. And unemployment was going up. It was in the double digits, about 12 or 13% of the time. And the future was kind of bleak for me. So I spent a couple of years going over in my own mind why I was made redundant. Why me? What should I have done differently to have kept my job in DHL Supply Chain Ireland? All that, you know, emotional horror, I suppose you say, the ups and downs. And then I decided after a couple of years... I need to get going again, but what could I do? I wasn't exactly sure. And I went back to Toastmasters, had been out of Toastmasters for a number of years because I always liked I always liked speaking. And eventually then I came across a person called Eamon O'Brien. He connected and linked him with me. And Eamon was at that stage, he was in the Professional Speaking Association. And I saw that on his LinkedIn profile. And then I said, I must look into the Professional Speaking Association and see what it's about. So at that stage, I joined as an associate member. And that's where I got this inkling about storytelling, professional speaking. And it took me another few years then to work out what exactly I wanted to do. And I, and I dipped my feet into the whole area of cloud computing for a while, thinking this is a massive area for growth. But my server surfing at the time was way too narrow. And I gave up that business. And then eventually I came across a person called Randy Daniel, who's my life coach today. And Randy, eventually he dragged my purpose out of me. That's to be a career coach to people who've been made redundant. They want to return to employment or start a business of their dreams. So today I have also become the executive producer and host of the gift show Ireland. We've produced eight, eight seasons overall. And we're now planning for season nine, which is going to be about monetization. So that's it in a nutshell. Wow, what a career. And I've been on the gift show and you are an incredible host, which made me think I've got to get you on, on my show. I've got to return the favour. But it, it's really interesting. So if I can take you 
back to 2010, if that's okay. Yeah. What was your experience when you were made redundant? Yeah, that's a great question to ask also. And basically what happened was DHL Supply Chain Ireland, the business was being restructured. Uh, for When I was in DHL first, we were part of the European setup. But in 2009, it was announced we were going to be realigned under the UK umbrella. And effectively, we became a division within the UK sector. And the UK people decided we need to strip out overhead in the Irish operation. And we're going to go with uh, UK kind of only multiple contracts. And the business was starting to be restructured. So they took out layers of management and they started, say, with uh, operations people. Then it went into procurement people, into first choice people. That's people who deal with procurement and project management type contracts work. And it worked its way into finance. And I was told one Thursday afternoon, your job is being made redundant, John. You don't have to come into the office tomorrow just come in tomorrow and clear out your office and go. And it was very sudden. I was told one afternoon at 20 to 5. And kind of at that stage, I was kind of accepting of it. And then a few days later, I had a meeting with the HR director to finalise my package before I left the business. And in return for an improved package, I did a full handover of my contracts to people who were taking on those contracts from me. So it was done... Me, you know, everything was okay at that stage. But when I post that, then that's when the loneliness set in. And, you know, I spent two years kind of beating myself up over why I was made redundant and what could I have done differently, as I said, said a couple of minutes ago. Uh, so I felt that, you know, I had gone from working 65 hours a week to zero. It's like slamming the brakes on in your car because you have to stop the car suddenly to avoid a collision. And so I had no social life. I worked, you know, when I was working in DHL, I put my life into my job and I had no social life as such. Um, and then all of a sudden, that was taken away from me, I was left with nothing. <laughs> Just to sit at home and look at a computer screen all day or gawk out the window. Wow. And I felt that part of redundancy could have been handled better. They could have help me to get over that loneliness or help me to prepare for that loneliness better, I suppose you could say. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really interesting because you're describing a redundancy situation in the corporate world. And I think in corporate world, it happens much more often than it does do in higher education. But my experience of redundancy in higher education is almost the polar opposite in, in as much as it gets dragged out. And what I've noticed is that within higher education, they step into the process and they forget the people. So as you described there very much, redundancy is part of working life. You know, th this isn't coming from the standpoint that we should never make people redundant. It, it is. It's a reality. And it's a reality that no matter how well we handle it, people have still got to go through their own process. But when we are instigating a redundancy program, it is remembering that it's human beings at the end of that. And that actually, I believe that as an employer, we have a responsibility to help them. As you said, you know, yours was 
right, one day you're in and the next day you're out. I mean, that that is really, really traumatic. And yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, I got jumped. I'm, I'm lost for words. But but I wonder from from the work that you've done and the work that you've done with your client, what would you say is a better way to handle a redundancy program? What what do you think as leaders we should be thinking about? I had a conversation one time with Dr. Linda Shaw, and what she said about redundancy was, redundancy is a business decision, it's not a personal decision. I agree with that, but I always say to people, if you're going to handle redundancy, I would say it's far better to be honest with people and tell them why they are being made redundant. It might hurt them at the time, and sometimes the truth hurts, but I would much prefer to hear the truth up front and then I can, you know, deal with that. Uh, so I always say to be specific with people about they're being made redundant. Is it down to performance? Is it down to cost? What's the real issue that's causing that redundancy there to happen? Don't just say your job is being made redundant. Goodbye. And leave the person to figure it out for themselves why they were made redundant. And in my own case, Looking back at it, it was my lack of soft skills at the time. I was a person who was happy to do their work, do it well, but I was kind of a reluctant leader of teams, and that contributed to my redundancy. And I learned that from hindsight myself. But if I had been told that, I wouldn't have gone through all that pain and anguish that I did thereafter. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You've hit the nail on the head is that, that when we don't know, we make things up and we procrastinate. We may still procrastinate when we've heard the truth for a while, but at least we know what it is we are dealing with. Whereas when we don't know and it just happens and it's a broad brush approach, actually, then we've got to deal with that. So flipping it to the other side now, the people that you work with, what is the process that you see them go through from that sort of moment of finding out that they're redundant to eventually ending up either going back into employment or starting their business? Tell me a little bit about the process that, that you see them go through. In terms of people who are made redundant, I always say, give yourself a couple of months break first. Don't try and dive into doing something straight away because you have to, you know, leave your previous employer mentally. They have left you. They've closed the door in your face, but you still have to take that break and mentally work through why you were made redundant and give yourself a break to get your energy levels back up again, be more positive about life, and then you can look to your future. And once people contact me then, I take them through a specific set of questions. So if somebody says to me, I want to return to employment, I have a specific set of questions available to, to ask them to identify what they want to do in the future and help them to iterate in their own mind why they were specifically made redundant. So we can identify, is there a skill gap that we need to work on to get them back into full employment without having to face redundancy again in the near future? And in the case of the person who wants to start their own business, again, I have a questionnaire 
and I asked the, the people very specific questions around their whole attitude to risk. Because I think, as you said to me one time on a podcast, that if you had wanted to start your business again, you much prefer to do it from going from employment gradually into self-employment rather than going with a big bang approach. Because as you found out yourself, starting a business requires a huge investment to make it worthwhile in the longer term. So you really have to gauge people's attitude to risk and what you know they're prepared to put into that business in terms of input, in terms of finance and effort to, to develop their intellectual property to make that business really worthwhile and profitable and an ongoing concern into the future. I love the fact that you remembered what I said. I was like, oh, yeah, I did say that, didn't I? But also, I think the really interesting point that resonated for me as you were talking there was the point about giving yourself time. Because I think that sometimes when we are made redundant or when anything traumatic, you know, happens in our lives, we want to sort of put a sticky plaster on it and, and move on as quickly as possible because then we can pretend it never happened and and everything else. But actually, emotionally, we need to to deal with that. And I love that fact that that you talked about letting go of your company. They've let go of you so emotionally you need to let go of them before you can then think about those next steps. And I think that that is something that is really insightful and, and really important. And people will often do the opposite. I also think that what you were saying about your own journey was that you found yourself a life coach. You still have that life coach. And it is about reaching out, isn't it? And getting help and being able to verbalise, because otherwise we stay in our head and actually getting us to verbalise and work through a process like the one that you have to really help us think about what is it I want to do next? Yeah, I, I agree with that because, you know, it happened to me when I thought about the whole area of cloud computing and I thought this is going to be a great area and I hadn't a clue about a business plan you know, research, you know, market research. I had no idea about it. And I went into this whole idea of cloud computing with an open mind, but I very soon realized that my service offering was far too narrow. And now, you know, that I'm working on my career coaching and professional speaking business, I realized the amount of work you have to put into to make that business a success. It doesn't happen overnight. You have to be willing to put in the investment in terms of finance and time. And you have to really work out very clearly who your audio client is and how you can serve them. And there's no point saying, I'm going to take a broad brush approach. You have to be very, very specific and really nail down that client. And then you have to create content that's going to entice them to contact you. And that's currently where I am with my business. So I would say that people probably know me as the host and executive producer of The Gift Show. And what I'm starting to do this month for the next 12 months is starting to put my own YouTube shorts out there, Instagram Reels, uh, videos on LinkedIn, TikTok, uh, Facebook, for example, that I can share my expertise with people. And then that's going to start building my customer pipeline. That's what I want to be working on for the next 12 months. So a lot of work to do. I'm up for the challenge. It's exciting. And I suppose that the one area where I'm going to be 
diving deep to see what impact I can create for myself. Fantastic. You've almost answered my question that I will be asking later, but I'll still ask it anyway. So I'm interested in, in everything that you've done and in your 25 years as an accountant, if I was to ask you, what does leadership mean to you? For me, leadership means doing the right thing. It means being ethical and not being afraid to speak up and step on people's toes. And I look back into my 25 years in accountancy and I came across two great examples of leadership for me. And the first one was way back in the 1980s. I was a young 24 or 5-year-old. I worked in this cable manufacturing company in southeast London, Nabby Wood, right at the very boundary of the Elizabeth Line in London. And it's no longer there. It's now a, a, a Sainsbury supermarket site. Anyway, there was a man called Derry Cross, and he was the managing director of the business. And he was appointed to run the business before I joined it. And he brought in his own senior management team to restructure the business. The business was struggling to survive in a declining market because Pilkington Glass had had invented uh, fiber optic cables at that stage. So the whole emphasis was on balanced manufacturing, fewer setups, minimize working progress, I should say, and identify the manufacturing bottleneck. It was all around those gold rat principles. Remember all this talk about uh, throughput accounting and gold rat uh, lean processes in the 1980s. Now, I hadn't got much to do with Derek because I was just a junior manager in the business. But what I learned from Derek was, if you ask people a question and you don't get the right answer there and then, ask the question again and again until you get the answer you want. And that has stood me well in business, not to be afraid to keep asking the question until you get the answer you want to hear. Okay, that's an interesting one. And it's so interesting. It's funny how we're all connected. You talk about Abbey Wood and you talk about the Sainsbury's. I know exactly where you are because my daughter is at um, Performing Arts College in Abbey Wood. And every time I go there, I have to walk past that Sainsbury's. So bizarrely, I know exactly where you are. Are talking about and it is at the end of the Elizabeth yeah. line. It is. I love I love that story. When you came out of the train station, you had to cross over a footbridge to walk down into the plant, you know. And where that factory was then, in front of it was a barren brownfield site. That's all apartments now, I believe. So uh yeah. So for you, leadership is about integrity, doing the right thing. Yeah. And keep asking those questions yeah and then also another great example of leadership for me was a man called mike carney he was the operations director in dhl supply chain ireland and i learned a huge amount about negotiation and collaboration from mike and he kind of drummed into my head that when you enter a negotiation consider the other party's perspective if they have a genuine case You need to work with these people to achieve a win-win scenario because supply chain business can be, uh, during times of downturn, it can be a very cost-conscious business and you're going to get clients looking for savings. If you don't work with them, they'll walk and go to another contract logistics supplier. So you have to be able to work with these people to achieve that win-win situation. 
And I think that's been a great lesson for me also. And I carry that forward into my business career ever since is always try to collaborate with people. Don't make it about compromise because collaboration is win-win. Compromise is win-lose. You have to be prepared, I think, to step up and recognize people who would be, I would call them, say, win-lose negotiators. They're kind of aggressive. They want to win at all costs. You have to be able to stand your ground with those people. And Mike was a great example of that, that I learned from. Yeah. And collaboration is something that is talked about in higher education so much and and many other sectors as well. But I think that word collaboration is really important in higher education. And, And I really like that that idea that that actually it's a win-win because if you compromise it's about a win win-lose an interesting perspective thank you when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have you alluded to an example earlier so I wonder if it's the same example or something different on many occasions in my life (laughs) to be quite honest and I go back to my teenage years when I was in secondary school as a young teenager and young adult, sprinting was my sport. And I remember one year the county championships were approaching and my form had dipped a bit. And I began to question myself, was I good enough to win the county championship in sprinting? However, I was full of determination and resolve that I was going to win. The big day arrived and I arrived to the track. I was focused on doing my very best. And I dispelled any negative thoughts I had in my head about a poor form running up to the race. I gave the race my best shot. And I'm delighted to say I became the county champion. And I was delighted with myself. So I dispelled my own negative thoughts about myself. Then moving forward here, when I joined DHL Supply Chain Ireland, there was a one-week handover between my predecessor and myself. And at the end of that week, my brain was frazzled. I had to absorb a huge amount of detail across a range of contracts. The following Monday morning, I was left to my own devices. I realized I had a job in my hand to get on top of all my contracts and to understand the detail of each contract. And it took me three months to get on top of my brief. And after that, I was able to start delivering value to general management and to the operations director. And what I learned from that process was that I could cope with uncertainty Provided I look after my mental and physical well-being, I could develop self-assurance and I grew in confidence and started to receive recognition from the general managers and the operations director and also the other partner for the quality of my work. And you often hear people say, I can take bad news or I can take good news, but I can cope with uncertainty. I can cope with uncertainty. And I think that's a personal strength in my part. Yeah. And the third Example I have here of diving deep. When I started my career coaching a professional speaking business, the opportunity to host a gift show came my way. Initially, I was a rabbit in headlights and I was completely in awe of my guests on the show. And I was quite uptight and stiff on camera. But with support and direction from my life coach and plenty of energy and resolve on my own part, I started to develop my skill set as a gift show host. I had to work on developing my active listening skills and coming across as more natural and less scripted. So as you know, we have published eight seasons of the Gift Show Ireland to date on YouTube, and we're now planning for season nine 
Love it. So a number of examples there when you've had to dive deep, right from when you were 16 to the current time. And actually, that is life, isn't it? It's about diving deep and taking that and taking it it forward. And I can totally empathise with the diving deep that is needed when you host a YouTube show or, in fact, a podcast. So thank you for those. When have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree? I spent 25 years working in the accountancy profession. And, you know, during that time, as I said earlier on, I indulged in a lot of, a lot of uh, negative self-thought, asking myself, was I in the right profession? And my accountancy career, you know, it consisted of a lot of emotional highs and lows. Although the big picture work, like working with the general managers, the operations directors, uh, people in new business development, but asked me to reconcile the balance sheet. I used to indulge in a lot of negative self-thought and it just wasn't my the right profession for me. And I think going back to the root cause of it was when I was in secondary school, there was little or no careers guidance. If there had been, I don't think I would have become an accountant. But having said that, I think accountancy is a great profession for anybody who wants to build a business career. And I'm still happy to call myself a qualified chartered management accountant. I'm delighted to say I have the qualification to this day. And what I said to young people is, if you're considering a business career, consider accountancy, provided that's the right career for you. You don't have to work in accountancy all your life. You can transfer into commercial work or into general management roles, but there is scope there for people. What I always say to people too, you have to go through the difficult times to discover your core strengths. And for me, that is doing creative work that allows me to connect with people on an emotional or visceral level. And that's why I love storytelling and the work that I'm doing now as a career coach and professional speaker. Brilliant. Thank you. So you were a fish climbing a tree, for 25 years. So brilliant. Love that. Thank you. Thank you so much for this conversation. How can people get in touch, find out more, find out about The Gift Show? What is the best way for them to do that? My website, which is johntheprospeaker.ie and also my YouTube channel. I'm sure you'll be putting links to my social media accounts in the podcast. And also my email is John at johntheprospeaker.ie. Fantastic. I will make sure that all of those links go in the show notes for people. So it just leaves me to say a massive, massive thank you for chatting with me today about all different things. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with? I would say to people, if you believe you're in the wrong profession, don't try and find the answer in your own mind reach out to a career coach who's been there and worn the shirt and get help. And the sooner you do that, the better for yourself. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can do leadership in a world of can't.